Welcome, everyone, to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I am joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Hi, Carter. Carrie. Hello, guys. Welcome back to your own show. Thank you. I'm a little um, under the weather, as you know, so I apologize in advance if anyone has to see me blow my nose. Well, as you said earlier, it's hard to be healthy in an environment of such toxic masculinity. So (laughs) I understand completely. I'm sure that I'm sure the audience will understand. It's all good. Um, By the way, I think for those of you who are pointing out my synchronization issues, I think the audio and video are synchronized. So if anyone uh, sees otherwise, please let me know in chat. But I think we've solved the problem. Anyway, you can follow, uh, we, you know, we do Deprogrammed Live every Thursday at 11 Pacific, which is, what, 1 o'clock Texas time, yes. uh, Carrie? And uh, you, can, you can catch us at those times. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Show. You can go to unsafeshow.com. We're actually, we're on Gab and Minds and normally BitChute. We, re- we repost stuff on BitChute as well. And... I don't know where else are we. You can all these are turned into audio podcast formats, so you can uh, you can go to your favorite podcast app and look for Unsafe Space. You should be able to find us. Okay, Carrie. Mm-hmm. The American Psychological Association came out with this these guidelines that we're going to talk about today. Uh, look at all your posts. I, I, yeah, I've got I have them. <laughs> I went through them all. I've got, I even used a highlighter, which I haven't done for decades probably. But um, the guidelines are called the, the APA Guidelines for the Psychological Practice with Boys and Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I guess on the one hand, I'm kind of, so, so people have been saying that, that there's a, some fake news about this. I'm not sure what the fake news is, but I guess there's been some backlash about this report. I just read the report. I didn't really read uh, the the fake news. Thank you, JD, whatever those numbers are. Um, so anyway, I just read the I just read the report um, or the the guidelines. I didn't read a lot of the, the the news about it, so I don't know what's being said. But on the one hand, we can I think we can kind of look at this as a good thing because the APA is finally paying attention to men's issues. Um, and so maybe that's positive, right? Ever since it became kind of fashionable to uh, just blame almost everybody's suffering on on the mythical patriarchy and toxic masculinity, discussing men's issues has been kind of taboo. So, um, you know, when you hear, I, I saw a few years ago, Cassie J made a movie called uh, The Red Pill, which was a great movie about men's rights and men's issues. And uh, I think she was vilified for that. People are, you know, men's rights groups are routinely denounced for, um, for having the gall to even discuss that there are any issues that might affect men. Just uh, a note about about Cassie J, if people haven't seen that, it's a great documentary. And one of the reasons I think it's so great is that she was a feminist filmmaker. She was, she had a career as she was in the feminist movement and she had done some previous documentaries and this one, she started out, unlike most documentaries these days, she didn't start out with with an end goal in mind and just work her way there. She allowed her mind to change. So you see her mind changing over the course of the documentary. So she kind of started out to yeah. show that MRAs or the men rights groups are, uh, I don't know, a bunch of sexist 
like whiners right. and misogynistic pigs misogynistic. that are responsible for all the problems in the world. Yes, exactly. But uh, you get to watch her mind changing over the course of the documentary. And, and yes, she was vilified and they tried to pull it. Feminists tried to pull it from theaters. They were protesting against it. because they, She's been, she's been kicked out of the, kicked out of the tribe. Yes. Like you, I think um, basically <clears throat> her problem was that she was intellectually honest and you can't remain a feminist for long if you're, you're choosing intellectual honesty. So uh, anyway, th this, this report actually does mention, I mean, I'll read some of the stuff. They, they have to have a little caveat before they mention this stuff. They say, although boys and men as a group tend to hold privilege and power based on gender, <laughs> like, okay, can't, can't not mention that. By the way, there's a lot of apologizing in this, in this guy, these guidelines. It's, it's very clear that they're like, we're making guidelines that say they're for, for, for men and boys, but don't worry. Patriarchy is a, is a thing. And, and, yeah. you know, we've done, we, we know that they're privileged. So, so they have that, but then they say, they, they cite some real things, right? Um, they, they say that, that men and boys uh, demonstrate disproportionate rates of receiving harsh discipline, academic challenges, mental health issues, physical health problems, public health concerns, and a wide variety of other quality of life issues. Um, and then they say, additionally, many men do not seek help when they need it, and many report distinctive barriers to receiving gender-sensitive psychological treatment. And if you're interested in issues that affect men, speaking of Cassie J, I just had her website. Let me pull it up. <clears throat> um, TheRedPillMovie.com. She's got a, for, for International Men's Day last November 19th, she put together a little uh, infographic with some of the, the statistics around men that uh, maybe aren't as publicly known. Workplace deaths, suicide, you know, almost four times, three to four times as likely to commit suicide and that kind of thing. So if you're interested in that, you can go, you can go look at that. So, you know, on the one hand, Carrie, I was, I was kind of heartened that the APA was, was going to look at these issues. On the other hand, if, if when they look at these issues and they try and, and determine the root cause, if they're guided by principles that are inherently flawed, like an inherently flawed ideology, and therefore they draw the wrong conclusions about what the root causes are, then there's a big risk that their proposed solutions will actually do harm rather than be helpful, right? Yes. So instead of prescribing medicine, they'll prescribe poison. And yes. this kind of reminds me to uh, of uh, kind of the old, uh, again, I won't say ancient, but older medicine, like Western medicine prior to the discovery of germ theory, right? Or the development of germ theory, when visiting a hospital actually increased your risk of death. So you were better off actually avoiding doctors than, uh, than going to a doctor because their understanding of medicine was so rudimentary that they were going to be more harmful than, than helpful. And so if that's the case with the APA, maybe I'd rather they just ignore men's issues altogether. But uh, so that, yeah. that's kind of the context that I well, approach this in. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's some positive stuff about this. I do think it's positive they're finally paying attention to some of the issues affecting men and boys um, and, and you know their psychological well-being. But unlike the Cassie J documentary, they're not open to finding out where the truth leads them. I believe they are coming into it with this ideology, which is an SJW ideology. And so they're looking at everything through that lens. And you mentioned that even in their first paragraph, 
the paragraph of the summary version uh, where they said uh, the thing about how uh, yeah, men. Well, men I can read here the first two yeah, sentences, Carrie. Right, the first two sentences of the introduction. Right, they're very explicit yeah. about being uh, beholden to intersectional ideology. Right, they say boys and men are diverse with respect to their race, ethnicity, culture, migration status, age, socioeconomic status, ability status, sexual orientation, gender identity, and religious affiliation. Each of these social identities contributes uniquely and in intersecting ways to shape how men experience and perform their masculinities, which in turn contribute to relational, psychological, and behavioral health outcomes in both positive and negative ways. So those are the very first two sentences. They are explicitly stating right off the bat, uh, hey, this is all about intersectional intersectionality. That's, that's, our, that's our premise here. And... And we're going to take it from there. Although and I don't know, I don't think that was the part that you wanted well, me no, to read, is. though. It's, it's in that same part. They say, although boys and men as a group tend to hold privilege and power based on gender, so they're taking that as a right. truth from the beginning. They're telling you upfront, this is the ideology we believe in, and they're assuming that you do too, like you, you that this is taken for granted. And elsewhere within the study, um, they they have a whole they define terms, of course. And a lot of those definitions are straight out of the SJW lexicon. They they define power, they define privilege, they define privilege, and they they quote good old Peggy McIntosh, or they they, they source her <laughs> right under right. privilege. So by the way, so Keith is saying that he's not seeing your video, but I am. So I don't know if anyone else wants to comment if they're seeing Carrie's video, that he's hearing you, but he's not uh, seeing okay. your video. I don't know why that is. I'm seeing it. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And actually, speaking of citations, this was interesting. the The guidelines we haven't really gotten into meat of the guidelines yet, which I want to do. But they, they, there are a lot of citations, right? There's this. It it leads you to believe that their their claims are scientific and well researched, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why they they put a lot of citations in. But if you look at the citations, in reality, um, many of those citations, you know, it's a name and a date, so it feels like maybe it's pointing to a research paper. But a lot of them are, report, are, are pointing to things like the Peggy McIntosh article that are just like yes. opinions written by experts in social justice <laughs> yes. um, who are aligned with their ideology. And, and you know, even the citations, it's important for people also to remember that even the citations that, that points to actual research papers need to be taken with a grain of salt here. Because, um, first of all, you're, you're reading basically a single sentence summary of the paper that I guarantee is tainted by their uh, their postmodernist worldview, so they're interpreting it the way they want to. Um, and uh, you know, I, some examples like they they say policing of masculinity, policing of masculinity expression in boys by their caregivers tends to be ineffective and emotionally damaging to the child and creates tension in the relationship. And they they cite. Uh, I suppose that's a, I don't even know if that's a research paper or not. Uh, that might just be an opinion, but they cite someone there. Um, you know, I imagine, I imagine that result depends really heavily on what you mean by policing, right? Do you mean shaming and belittling a child or do you mean providing a role model and encouraging them and setting a good example or, or setting an example of masculinity? So there's a lot more complexity here. And a, a lot of times they just kind of, you know, they interpret things to, to be whatever they want, like, oh, it's policing, right? So a lot of it really understand, it, it, 
it depends on you understanding a lot more than their soundbite. And on top of that, just in case the audience doesn't know, um, studies in general, especially in the field of studies in psychology are, uh, are problematic. I hate to use that word because it's a SJW uh. word, but there, <laughs> there's a reproducibility crisis in psychology right now, um, which isn't surprising because the field is, is populated by ideologues rather than scientists. So um, there were researchers recently who tried to reproduce they went and they looked at 100 papers in like the top three uh, psychological journals and they tried to reproduce the results of these papers and they could only reproduce 39 of them, um, which is pretty horrific. And so um, there's actually this place called the Center for Open Science and it's an organization kind of focused on identifying and solving this problem in all sciences, but uh, you know maybe with special special attention to psychology because they they do have such such a problem. So there's lots of like weird correlation is causality mistakes and interpretations of things. And then we're not even really sure about the underlying studies in many cases. So I just want to point out that if you read the guidelines, it it looks, there's lots of citations, which, which it looks will legit. make you feel like it's legit, but um, they're paper tigers, or maybe I don't know what a better analogy is. There's, there's, there's straw men citations for the large part or, or just you know people interpreting stuff the way they want to. So right, and they're they're just anyway they're speaking as if a lot of this is a given, as if it's true. Like the patri like they refer to the patriarchy as if yeah, the patriarchy yeah it's a thing, and <laughs> just just it's you're supposed to you're supposed to be on the same page with them already on that stuff. So um, I noticed other absolutely people in the chat are saying nobody can see me. So I, you can see me. So my, it must be not on my end, right? I can see you. Uh, yeah, let me see if, like, am I, I'm controlling the, the chat, so, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm, no, I'm not hiding you from the broadcast or anything. There's no, like, your camera's not, like, turned off. I can turn it off and back on. Well, let me do that. Okay. Ho I turned your camera off guys. and back on. I hope that works. Real quick. Yeah. Okay, if it doesn't, I apologize, but... Uh, yeah, I have no idea why you are not visible, Carrie. So, oh, well. Um, oh, well. It's, prob it's probably, but now I can blow my nose in privacy. You can't, well, but people <laughs> will hear you. So, <laughs> let's still, uh, okay. I'm sorry you're going to miss Carrie's smiling face. If it's still not working, uh, it, it looks, it works to me, and I see your, your picture down there in the corner okay. and on the screen in front of me. So, anyway, let's go through really quickly. Let's maybe just, um, there's 10 guidelines. So, let's, I don't want to, I think we can get off into the weeds and we can start talking about, about our reactions to this, but let's just present what the 10 guidelines are, the way they're worded in the report, and then maybe we can talk about uh, the substance behind them. Okay. We won't have time to do all of them, but we can talk about the general substance behind them. So um, first of all, I, I don't know if, I guess all APA reports are, or guidelines are written like this. It's kind of weird language that they use. <laughs> um, the guidelines all are written in this kind of form. Guideline number one is psychologists strive to recognize that masculinities are constructed based on social, cultural, and contextual norms. So it, I, just the language was weird to me at first because it, yeah. was, it wasn't like psychologists should do this. It was like psychologists do do this. It made me feel like I was in a Montessori kindergarten where it was like, we choose our works now and we do, this is what we do. It's like, uh, uh, okay, 
are, why are you talking to me like that? But anyway, that's how they talk to you. So they say psychologists strive to recognize that masculinities are constructed based on social, cultural, and contextual norms. That's social constructionism 101. So that's guideline number one is guideline number one is basically being SJW. Guideline number two, psychologists strive to recognize that boys and men integrate multiple aspects of their social identities across the lifespan. So that basically is like, it's a homage to intersectionality plus, hey, you know, people age and so things change, duh. Right. Um, number three is psychologists understand the impact of power, privilege, and sexism on the development of boys and men and on their relationship with others. Here we go. Pa yep, power and privilege, there we go. Um, Number four, psychologists strive to develop a comprehensive understanding of the factors that influenced the interpersonal relationships, that influence the interpersonal relationships of boys and men. Uh, basically that one, for the, for the ones that I have a one sentence summary, I'll give it to you while I read it. The summary of that one for me was uh, basically men have the wrong kind of relationships and they need to have relationships like women do. Yeah. Uh, number five is psychologists strive to encourage positive father involvement and healthy family relationships. I want to talk about that one more because that the title excited me a little bit, uh, but it was uh, it left me wanting after I read it. Uh, number six is psychologists strive to support educational efforts that are responsive to the needs of boys and men. Again, sounds like maybe could be interesting. Isn't? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Number seven. Psychologists strive to reduce the high rates of problems boys and men face and act out in their lives, such as aggression and violence. And there's a comma there, so I don't know if I missed the rest of it, but whatever, probably other stuff. Here, let me look. Aggression, violence, ah, substance abuse, and suicide. All right, number eight, <clears throat> psychologists strive to help boys and men engage in health-related behaviors, okay? Um, number nine, psychologists strive to build and promote gender-sensitive psychological services. And number 10, psychologists understand and strive to change institutional, cultural, and systemic problems that affect boys and men through advocacy, prevention, and education. This last one was, this last guideline was basically lobby for the shit that we want you to lobby for. Um, and uh, we've got a political agenda and psychologists... Yeah, they lobby that, for our political agenda. I had a big that problem was that with that one too. Are we going to go through each of these individually? I don't think we, I mean, there's a couple I want to point out and highlight, but I just wanted to just put them all out on the table first before we had, I, I think we can have a, a general discussion about our observations regarding the guidelines as a whole. And, and if we want to talk about a few, we can, but I don't think it's worth going through each individual one because frankly, a lot of them are just uh, intersectionality regurgitations of the previous one with a, a, a shift. It was, it's like, Hey, intersectionality. Hey, also intersectionality plus age. Hey, also, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, so what were your, I mean, I've got my kind of, I've got a few high level observations, uh, things that, uh, that I think were, were, were wrong with this report or things that bothered me, but what are, what is your kind of high level assessment of this report or this guidelines? Um, well, I feel like I've stated it already, sort of, but it, just that they have good intent, it seems to me. They're trying to explain some of the things that men's rights activists talk about a lot, some of the things that men's rights activists highlight, like the highest suicide rates. 
but they're trying to uh, shoehorn it into their existing SJW narrative. So as, there are certain things that just don't make sense to me. For example, um, they talk about the suicide rates of, of boys and men are, are climbing. And you know, within a 15 year period, I think among, among white men, they increased 28%. Um, but they're saying that these, these ill effects are because of traditional masculinity, which is harmful. Well, why are we seeing the suicide rates of men increasing uh, if we've been smashing the patriarchy and dismantling traditional masculinity for the past 15 years? If traditional masculinity is the problem, then, then why are things getting worse? Because we're attacking traditional masculinity. We're smashing that patriarchy, you know. So I right, absolutely. They should be men. Should be as we become less quote traditionally masculine, we should be happier and uh, less depressed, uh, less suicidal. Things should be going better for men. Right, and and I think that on its face, I'm like, how can you guys cite that and then not recognize that you're you're blaming on something that has been an institution that has been attacked and is and is declining. I think we right. they, even they would agree traditional masculinity is is not held up as uh, something to aspire towards as you know in the way that it used to be. Uh, well, I'm not sure if they would agree with that because they seem to be quite blind about a lot of things. But I, I think most reasonable people would. I mean, when I, I mean, it's you know, I, I read this report. I made notes on all of the the guidelines. Um, but I really struggled with like. What's my overall impression of this? Because they like touch on a few topics that I, I'm like, oh, good, they're touching on this, but they don't talk about it in a satisfying way. And so I tried to think about what the report really symbolized to me. And the conclusion that I drew was this report is not about men, um, first of all. Mm -hmm. I had a couple conclusions. One is it's not about men. The guidelines are largely focused on helping gender nonconformists cope with masculinity. And, and helping other marginalized uh, groups cope with what they call the Eurocentric concept of masculinity. Um, there's not a lot of focus on like men who identify as male and are cisgender, like cisgendered men who identify as masculine. Um, mm -hmm. it, so it really seems to me not about actually helping men, but really about, as you said, just blaming masculinity for men's problems and saying men have a lot of problems and masculinity is is the is the root cause um so it really isn't even about helping men to start with i don't know if you got that sense but that was the sense that i got i agree uh, to an extent yeah i think i think i think some people i think it's easy to self-delude yourself and think you really are you are trying to help men but what you're trying to what what you're Maybe you've convinced. Well, but yourself. no, but nowhere in the report, right? Nowhere do they they examine. They don't even ask the question of whether the vilification of masculinity in culture has a negative effect on men and boys. It's not even brought up as a possibility. I, oh yeah, to I have a whole list of things they they don't bring up. Like they don't talk about really. They talk about fatherhood, but they don't talk about the impact of destroying the traditional family and the lack of fathers in the home. Well, really? so that's interesting. Really? Yeah, no, that was one of the ones that bothered me um, a lot because I'm reading the, the guideline. The guideline is psychologists strive to encourage positive father involvement and healthy family relationships, right? And when I read this, I was like, oh, finally, they're going to they're gonna talk about the importance of fathers and male role models for young, for young boys. Um, 
Because, you know, look, young boys grow up in a, a very gynocentric world. There's a lot of single motherhood, first of all. Um, and even when there's not a, a lot of single motherhood, mothers are, are traditionally the primary caregivers uh, during their early years. And then they go to preschool and elementary school and high school where it is overwhelmingly run by by women. By women. So it's uh, there's a deplorable lack of of male role models for young boys. And I thought, oh, good, they're going to they're going to talk about how if you're a psychologist, you need to um, really help young boys uh, find masculine role models that, that they can use as substitutes for missing or absent fathers or, or just lack of men in their lives in general. Uh, but that's not what it was about. There was basically only two main points to that. Um, the first was that kind of this generalized, like, duh point, which is father involvement is good for kids in a general sense. In fact, in fact, they even they don't mention father involvement being um, important for boys, but they actually in this guidelines to how to help men and boys for adolescents they say for adolescents father involvement has been associated with healthier eating patterns, lower internalization internalizing problems, especially for daughters. They're still focused on like <laughs> fucking girls. Like I get it, I have a daughter, I care about girls, but this is about. This Boy. report is supposed to be about guidelines for helping boys and men. Um, and they're still just viewed as like, hey, it's good for kids. By the way, you should be a good father. Like, thank, yeah. thanks for the guideline. Um, really, well, hey, I want to butt in there and say something because I sent you this article right before we started. I'm sure you didn't have time to read it. But they don't believe in the importance of having healthy male role models. They don't believe that it's necessary. And so uh, there was an article that came out at the end of the year or just came out at the beginning of the year in The New Yorker. I'm just going to pull it up here to make sure I get this right. Um, it was called The Year in Good Men by Naomi Fry, staff for the New Yorker. And she basically was trying to say, you know, it's been such a horribly sexist, awful year, uh, but let's try and compile a list of good men this year. Her list starts off with, with a mascot from a sports team, like a not a real man. And then she goes on <laughs> to list a duck. Uh, like an actual duck. I don't know if it was in the news. Uh, a, a steer. Duck? A duck that was in the news. A steer that was in the news. Um, she mentions a couple of actors, and she specifically mentions these actors because they are playing, quote, the sensitive teenage boy, slender, complex, and tortured boys, fine-boned, gentle-eyed. Like, like she's. this whole list is not really about masculine role models. Like, several of the people on the list aren't actual humans. <laughs> so yeah i mean of of the seven billion people in the world roughly three and a half billion are male uh, i can't find 10 that are worth uh that are that are uh, more admirable than a duck so that's and, or a mascot that's good, no. yes yeah so <laughs> thank you that that to me is just a cultural that's just an example of how they, they don't really um they i don't they don't view it as important uh, to have well, Carrie, I'm I'm going to show. Not only do they not view it as important, I'm going to show what you sent me. Um, uh, this picture. I don't I don't know if Carrie, if you can see it, but um, it is it. okay. So this is a actually. actually no, wait. Let me let me just back up here. So after I sent it to you, I just did my due diligence to make sure this was real, and I'm not oh, okay. sure uh, because there's no timestamp on it. However, oh, so it, it jives, could be like a, jives, a fake. It could be. However, I, 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 it jives with a lot of the things that she has said. 
Um, and even if it, it's not real, if someone's, this is a sentiment that is ex, I've seen expressed in a multi multiple yeah i've seen this before too as as abhorrent as it is let me just read it for people who aren't watching and are just listening um it says uh, a tweet by someone named kate morgan um if it's real um and she says if you're a white woman and are currently pregnant with a white baby boy do us all a favor and take a trip to planned parenthood so um so that kind of sentiment which is common apparently doesn't need to be doesn't need to be addressed at all in society, and the problem is masculinity. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, you can getting... see stuff like that in that sentiment expressed by who's the New York Times op-ed writer they just hired, or, or maybe not op-ed, Sarah, Sarah Zhang. You know, she expresses oh, stuff yes. like that all the time. I mean, yeah, she does. Very common in the SJW world. Well, you know, it's, getting back to this this father thing, the two things that I thought were missing. Uh, was what we just talked about role models like not really any discussion of boys needing masculine or male role models and the second thing that actually Cassie J talks about a lot in in the Red Pill movie is there's there was no discussion in this entire document about really I don't I don't think it was even mentioned um there was no discussion about uh the family court system and how devastating it is to fathers um yeah. and men generally and um, there's, uh, I, I think maybe they mentioned it. I think there was maybe a sentence that gave it a passing mention somewhere, but there was no treatment of that as as an issue and how to deal with it or anything like that. It was uh, it was just kind of ignored. So, you know, to me, uh, some of the issues that that uh, that little boys face is this: the court system ripping their fathers away generally, and lack of male role models. Uh, in general, including absent fathers. And then from the, the father's side, issues that they face, losing their kids through a court system like this. Um, frankly, if you're a young man in college, you probably worry about being falsely accused of sexual harassment or rape. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know... Uh, or a man I know who's people... uh, point to the Supreme Court, you might worry about that. Sure. Well, even, <laughs> like, even, even regular people, right? So I... I spent a long time mentoring, um, I still mentor and advise startup founders, and I spent a lot of time as an angel investor here in Silicon Valley. And um, I, used to, I used to advise uh, women founders, I think actually disproportionately, because um, they would seek out uh, help more, I found. They would seek out uh, help more than, than male founders tended to, and so uh, I, would, I would advise them. I've actually, I don't, you call me sexist for this, but I'm not taking on any new female um, founders to advise at all um, because I'm I'm paranoid about being in the same room without like recording devices or something like I don't want to ever be accused of something that I didn't do and shame, uh, but that is not it's completely understandable and I've seen that expressed elsewhere not I mean yeah I, and even that is happening. my last venture firm I had a rule so we had uh, our office manager uh, he uh, I told him look Whenever we have a meeting with a female, you also have to be present. Like mm -hmm. we both have to be there because I don't want to have a closed door meeting with a female founder. Um, and that's stupid. I should be able to do that. But but if you, you live know, in a world that says believe all women instead of believe evidence, then that's right. a natural consequence. Yeah. So.
let's let's talk about um do you have anything else to add about that particular guideline um i did see them and i'm forgetting where but i did see them mention the way that uh what was it that men are are disproportionately affected you were, you were talking about the court system it, yeah i think they did like it towards the end i think in passing once they did but they didn't really give it any um treatment yeah right they, yeah um, they, it's not like they paid attention to it I, I had a thought there maybe it'll come to me in a minute but well and you know the other thing is like they they talk about the media for example and they talk about like oh there's these uh there's these uh, oh, I know. hyper-masculine role models in the media, right? So they, you think about people like um, uh, The Rock or, uh, you know, maybe for the older generation, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or be like, you know, big, muscly, you know, hyper, hyper-masculine guys. But there's never a discussion of, you know, as long as I've been alive and remember television, I, I'm not, I'm struggling to think of any television show that portrayed a father as anything other than dumb and lazy. Um, and uh, there's it's, no discussion uh, of that. That's become the trope. Men are useless around the house. Absolutely. Uh, in yeah, fact, yeah. in <laughs> fact, I even, I, I'm about to release a, I, I wrote an article, which I haven't posted yet, but I'm about to release a, a video uh, of it as well uh, about uh, Christina Wong's radical cram school. And one thing I didn't mention in the, in that article is there's a girl there that, um, in this, in the radical cram school, that she says, um, "I wish I can be a boy, so when I grow up to be a father, I don't have to think about a zillion things." And mothers think about like one hundred, sorry, one thousand zillion things. Wow. And Christina's response is like, "So what are the few things fathers?" So she she accepts that she doesn't argue with it. So what are the few things fathers have to think about? And the girl says, "Well, ah, uh, resting." And Christina <laughs> is like, "Yeah, resting, resting, yeah." So so that's. That's um, what we should be just a uh, full disclosure. I, I have Christina as a friend and, and uh, I used to represent her. She's a comedian. I used to yeah, but I'm allowed so. to talk smack about Christina. You're um, just you can have whatever opinions you want. I have some of my own about that piece. So, but anyway, um, what was I going to say? I, oh, so it came to me. What I was going to say, it did mention at some point how men are, um, uh, maybe not as believed as women when it comes to issues of domestic abuse, or they're not being served when it comes to domestic abuse. Mm. They didn't really get into it did that. Mention that. It did mention that, but they didn't get deep into that. And part of the, uh, part of this, whole they didn't even, they didn't even get shallow into it. I think they mentioned yeah. it in like one sentence. In passing. But, um, yeah. but this believe all women culture that we're in now is just going to make that worse. So of yeah, course. I mean, I know, I know from personal like anecdotal evidence of, of, police being called when a woman is abusing a man and the man being arrested <laughs> like because the woman said it was the man who did it you know who right. started it and uh and and that's that's definitely something i think that exists but i think this current climate is going to make that worse yeah absolutely absolutely it will um you know i i'm going to say something kind of hyperbolic but i i want to talk about why the context um through which these issues are approached kind of matters more than maybe it would seem on the surface, because I think it really does matter. Um, and it turns this stuff into, um, it turns this stuff into poison where it could be helpful. Um, my hyperbolic statement is I don't think, I don't think that they believe men actually exist really. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think they believe that there are concepts of masculinity that exists, right? But they don't believe that those concepts reflect um, really anything real about people born with XY chromosomes. Um, yeah. So like, in other words, they don't think that these concepts, they, they don't think that this concept of masculinity evolved from like anything um, biologically relevant or advantageous. Um, you know, I always, I always think I of think the concept of Right. And I always think of the concept of masculinity as arising from like, you know, you observe behavior of successful men, you identify commonalities of them, you distill those commonalities down to certain traits, you create this idea of like an idealized image of a, of a man, you call him, you know, you define him as masculine, and like, and, and that's where that concept comes from. But in their view, that's not it. To them, you know, masculinity has nothing to do fundamentally with um, who men are. It's just an arbitrary social construct. God knows how they think we came up with that construct in the first place, but uh, they sure as hell don't think it's real and, and or useful, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I can I can kind of see what you're saying there. They don't. They view. I think it's been said before. Like, it's almost that they view men as defective women. Is that well? Kind of the plural, yeah. Well, but let, let me give you an example from the report. Okay. So, so let me be clear. So like they they assume in this report, in this guideline, I keep saying report, it's a guideline. In in these guidelines, they assume that, uh, for example, that men's desire to be providers for their families is part of this social construct called masculinity, right? And that the solution here evol it, it involves like uh, evolving men's roles in society, uh, basically changing men to fight this construct, right? So, to dismantle feel, so they don't feel like they need to provide for the family. Right, <laughs> right. But, 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 but here's yeah. the question I think we need to ask, right? Does the desire to be a provider, um, is it really a social construct? I mean, look out your window at the animal world, right? You will see male birds building elaborate nests for females and females going and checking them out and 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 instinctually choosing the ones that they that they think um, the mates that they think will be the best and provide the best resources. Um, you know, isn't it possible that the desire to provide resources and, and be a provider is something that's kind of deeply biological and ingrained? Well, and if that's the case, if we try and dismantle it, aren't we kind of destroying man qua man? We're like like don't exist as a man. What do they think will happen in a world like that? Well, Peterson has talked about this before. I mean, it, it, women are pregnant for nine months and then they need to be with the young baby for a period of time after that. And so it's, it, it's involved that necessarily the partner is going to help to support the woman during that time. And that's to go out. I think, I think it's deeply biological. Um, of course, I mean, of course, it's at least something. I mean, I'm not arguing that there's um, maybe no social uh, influence, but Correct. it's it's pretty ludicrous to just discount the biologic the biological influence, um, just dismiss it out of hand, uh, especially when you just, like I said, look out your window, look at nature, watch how so, species interact, like watch how male and female of a variety of species interact including mammals. Have you heard about the case of David Reimer? Do you know who that is? Who? David Reimer. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but R-E-I-M-E-R. I haven't. This is a little boy who was born, um, and during uh, something happened during the birth where he, 
he lost part of his genitals or he was born maybe with something deformed. I can't remember. So anyway, the doctor and the parents made the choice to castrate him and to tell him he was a girl and raise him as a girl. And he was being studied by this postmodernist, forget the, the doctor's name right now, but he was being studied by this guy who wrote a lot of the, what ended up becoming the, uh, uh, like the transgender activist Bible. <laughs> I don't that, that that gender is completely a social construct. And he was holding David out as an example of that. But if it's a social construct, David never felt like a girl. He was told he was a girl and he was raised as a girl. And he ended up having huge psychological problems because of it, because he felt like he was a boy. Um, I mean, the whole concept of transgenderism presupposes that there are sexes, right? It's like, how can you say you identify as the opposite gender if there is no opposite gender? Um, That's Mm -hmm. a separate issue. Yeah, okay, um, so it seem to get too far afield. But but just I think that case is a great example of they tried to use it to say, Oh, look, it's all social. You can raise this boy as a girl and he'll be a girl. And it wasn't social. <laughs> so it didn't work, basically. Didn't work. Yeah. Um, by the way, so um embarrassing mom mentions also penguins are a good example, another where they bring dads bring food for their for the young. Um but uh, there are a couple requests, Carrie, uh, for you to speak about the sexual appeal that large masculine men have for straight women and why feminists <laughs> don't want to admit it. So, uh, people are asking for that? <laughs> uh, a couple people. It's been uh, someone asked for it and then it was seconded. So um, well, I think you should. Uh, I think you should. You should address that very important issue. Um, I don't know. I think there's been a lot of interesting discussion about that recently. Um, again, to talk about, I think Peterson touched on this, that uh, women, feminists like to pretend like they don't want a traditionally masculine man and that that's not something that is desirable. Um, Yet at the same time that we've been emasculating men, and I don't know if you've seen like the the rapidly declining testosterone rates among men, it, yeah, they have been dropping, so. uh, have which, been by dropping. the way, is evidence that masculinity as a concept is is dissipating. And so we should be happier that our testosterone is dropping. But separate <laughs> right, I guess uh-huh. so. Um, but so as that's been happening, you also simultaneously see this rise in women seeking out the extreme opposite. So you have the, the, the insane popularity of books like Fifty Shades of Grey, where it's not just masculinity it's some it's you know a woman being i haven't read it but a woman being right you know it's the snn it's like it's like taking it to the extreme right so, it's maybe yeah. where the term toxic masculinity might be appropriate be. well maybe where it should be appropriate because what, what i've heard right. about that focus he's kind of a dick towards her too um <laughs> that it's not just in the bedroom so anyway it's it, it, because you're there women are repressing this desire for masculine men that you're seeing it uh surface in other ways and uh, when Peterson talked about it, he had a really interesting comment. He said, uh, if you look at, I think it was a bunch of Google engineers or someone at Google did a study about the, um, or it was included in a book, a study about the terms that women search for. Like when women are looking for erotic novels, like romance novels, that the top three things they're looking for are, what was it? Uh, like they, for the men are either like, positions? Is it surgeons or something? Doctors. The men are doctors, or the men are pirates, or the men are werewolves. <laughs> 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 but these dominant, 
<laughs> masculine kind of, and the, and the, they're like these beasts that women uh, get to domesticate. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's not talked about a lot, but it is widely recognized that uh, a lot of women have rape fantasies. Um, oh, and yeah, women search for that more than men do in porn. If you look at absolutely. porn stats, women look for, they look for that. They look up that kind of porn more than men do. Right. And, and that might be a result of uh, the lack of finding masculine men around them. So they, there's kind of this pent-up uh, fetishization of, of masculinity in some, in some sense, and they, it gets turned into a werewolf or whatever, whatever you said they search for. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so I was thinking, I'd, I'd like your thoughts on, on this. I was, you know, the other thing I, I thought about, I took away from this, this, these guidelines is, I was wondering if um, if you're going to look at societal problems, I'm not sure if it's possible to really look at men and women in isolation. Um, men and women's psychologies and uh, our gender roles evolved as sort of a symbiotic relationship with one another. And so, um, you know, they complain about, you know, this report laments the fact that, you know, men are more aggressive, they, they eat fewer vegetables. So they, that's risk taking, I guess, and um, stuff like that. And, you know, there's testosterone is why men take more risks and are more aggressive. And, and frankly, testosterone is, is super valuable to society. Um, it's not a bad thing. Um, they're, it, in fact, if you think historically, aggression and risk taking were crucial to the survival of humanity, when especially when you're out hunting, you've got to go take risks and be and be aggressive. And, you know, the thing is, it's just not very useful at home. Um, it's not very useful. I guess in a civilized society, maybe it needs to be channeled. But what I was thinking about this is like, look, men, men don't exist in, in a vacuum. We don't procreate by ourselves. We need partners. And in fact, we need female partners and we need female partners who for the most part have complementary psychology. So, you know, when a man spends time with his children, his testosterone levels go down. Therefore his aggression goes down. Um, when he spends time with his wife, I can attest to this. When he spends time with his wife, he eats more vegetables. Um, <laughs> like she's there to be like, you know, eat your fucking vegetables. That's part of the dynamic. And uh, I'm wondering if really to view, uh, you know, viewing psychological health of one gender in isolation, um, maybe you're only going to get a partial picture because That's maybe our psychologies point. aren't meant to be in isolation. Maybe we're meant, maybe men are meant to have a counterbalance in their life from a woman. And maybe women are meant to have some of that aggression and risk-taking into their lives to propel them to, to do things and to kind of let go of their children and let them grow up. Are you saying that men need women? And women need men, yeah. <laughs> and families. Shoot me now, <laughs> Bay Area. <laughs> it's so controversial. I know. Yes. But um, I mean... I, yeah, I don't know. What are your? I just I just came up with that. What are your thoughts about? No, I think it's a great point. I was taking notes while you're talking about it. It, it. They don't talk about it. They they definitely they're just isolating men out here, and, but they're looking at it through this gendered lens, which they admit from the beginning of the study or the beginning of the guidelines. They say that the reason they did this is because once they started looking at psychology through a quote gendered lens, in order to. Uh, write guidelines for women, which they did a decade ago or so, that then they realized that a lot of these same people who specialized in femininity now specialize in masculinity. And they realized the necessity to look at psychology through this gendered lens for men. Um, 
And so they're, they're, they're isolating it, they're looking at it through the lens of gender, they're not looking at it through the lens of family, uh, traditional masculinity, tradition at all. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, you know, it's, it's hard because I think, you know, I've, I'm a vocal advocate, uh, of therapy for men and women. Um, but it's, it's quite difficult. I think if this is the, I guess I'm an advocate for therapy, but not therapists. I mean, if, if, if this is what most therapists believe, I don't know that a guy going to visit a therapist is going to be helpful. I think it actually might make his problems worse. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, oh yeah. And because, let me just put in there really quickly. It's going to make sure. it worse because there's one part in here where they say it's the, it's the clinicians, um, uh, imperative to fight, uh, what is it? homophobia, transphobia, to fight against homophobia, transphobia, racial bias, and other types of discrimination in institutions such as the criminal justice system. That's part of the clinician's responsibility. Right, that's part of their like advocacy stuff. Like yeah. the, the clinician as activist. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird, and 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 it's like um, they simultaneously are like, "Gee, men avoid therapy," but like if this is what therapists believe about men, no wonder they avoid therapy. Like you, you should avoid therapy. Maybe just find an older guy who you think has his shit together and use him as a mentor. Um, and like you know, open up and talk to him. But uh, I don't know. It's like they should avoid therapy if this is what therapy is going to deliver to them. If therapy is going to try and tear down their concepts of masculinity. And, you know, you sent an article to me. I think it was in, I think I'm almost 100% sure that it was in reaction to this uh, APA guidelines, the article that that you post on Facebook. But it, it was it was about this concept that like, <clears throat> um kind of no pain, no gain, but this, you have to do hard things to grow and mature. And um, it's not clear to me that, uh, you know, they talk about like, oh, it's tough for men to live up to this masculine ideal. Like, yeah, but we all know that we're not the ideal, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it, that pressure, that pressure to, to, to compare yourself to the ideal, at least on some level, I mean, not maniacally, but on some level to, to know that that ideal's there, that pressure is actually kind of positive in many ways. It spurs you to better yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so going to a therapist, it's like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to do any hard work. You don't have to lift weights because you don't have to be strong. It's like, well, you don't have to, but it's healthy. Um, and, and frankly, when you do lift weights, your testosterone levels rise and you have a lot more energy and you become more assertive and aggressive, which I know they think is bad, but is absolutely valuable. And your family relies on it. Um, yeah. if you're, you know, if you're, uh, in a traditional role model in, in your family. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure I should really still be advocating therapy for men because if this is what they're going to get, uh. If you're getting Fuck a kind of therapist, yeah. Yeah. That's why, well, uh, you know, people are gravitating towards these male thinkers now who are outside of this ECSJW ideology or who are speaking against it. And obviously part of that is because they're looking for and craving male role models who are not ducks or sports mascots or fake right. 
teenage angsty boys. Right. That's that's part of Jordan Peterson's appeal. In fact, I think yeah. that's predominantly his appeal. He's a smart guy, and I love listening to him eviscerate uh, idiotic interviewers. Mm -hmm. But really, what he brings to the table isn't a lot of uh, knowledge that other professors may not have or other smart men may not have. But he he kind of embraces his masculinity and provides this male role model to 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 young men. And and frankly, I think that male role model is is important to young women because you know women um oh absolutely his, his women need to see what is like what men could and should be or what's possible in men and so especially you know younger men aren't aren't very uh mature and developed so for example my daughter is going to be looking at me as the image of well this is what this is what a successful man looks like this is this is the model that i should pattern my my search for a partner after now mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some things that she shouldn't do there. And I'll have a conversation with her about my flaws and don't, don't go for those things. But, um, but, but we all, you know, guys tend to use their mothers as, as uh, role models for their sexual partners and, or, or templates and, and girls tend to use their fathers as templates. And so it's also, it also does affect girls um, pretty significantly. Absolutely. And I think that's why these same thinkers are appeal, these, these non SJW anti-PC thinkers are appealing to women now too. And I, I keep being told that Peterson's audience is all male. I've seen that lie repeated often. It is not all male. Uh, I, I, I host a book club, a Jordan Peterson book club. We started it with his book, 12 Rules. And almost everyone who showed up for the video discussion is women. And you know, I've, yeah. I've been to his lecture. It's about 45, 50% women. Um, so yeah. there's this lie that this is only appealing to men. And it's simply not true. I think everyone is craving uh, uh, a, a, a positive male representation of the male role model. Sure, and maybe that's why you know women they they find the kind of non-masculine guys who can fulfill uh, you know some of their needs, but are, are missing that masculinity, and they have to go out and seek seek the quote the the bad boy or the the Fifty Shades of Grey guy to get themselves turned on and, and excited about masculinity because yeah, they, they can't almost, find it anywhere else. They can't find it anywhere right? else and they almost have to go to, um, it's it's like it's uncool to like a traditionally masculine guy, but if you go further than that, then you get into kink territory, then that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and look, from a male perspective, right, um, it's not okay to be a traditionally masculine guy, but it might be okay to be like a psychotic uh um, Fifty Shades of Grey, I forget his name, but like, I want to say Dorian Gray, but that's the painting. Anyway, it might be, <laughs> it, it might be, uh, it might be say, uh, it might be okay to be like, okay, well, if I'm going to be a regular guy, I can't be too masculine unless I want to embrace this like role as a kinky dom. And then I have to be hyper masculine. And there's no, there's no uh, room to just be masculine without being a dick. Um, yes. Right. There's no room. <laughs> that should have been the title of our podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a way with words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the the other thing that this these guidelines do, I think, is they conflate. Um, and this really bothers me as well. And I, I touched on it before, but I want to make it explicit. They conflate uh, outcomes of masculine traits, like both positive and negative outcomes of masculine traits and all is one thing and, and, and use them 
to condemn masculinity. So it, it would be like me saying, well, um, the essence of, of femininity is, is being emotional. Hate is an emotion. Therefore, femininity is about hate. Like that's not, but that's what they do with masculinity. They're like, well, masculinity is about aggression and aggression is like unprovoked violence and domestic abuse. Therefore, masculinity is toxic. It's like, that's not, masculinity is a lot of things and it can, it can uh, manifest in toxic ways. Absolutely. But so can femininity as anyone who's dated like psychotically manipulative women can attest to, uh, women can be horrible creatures just like men they just they're horrible creatures in different ways um yeah, and it's not femininity that's the problem just like it's not masculinity that's the problem i mean there's a stat i heard about that it, when it comes to domestic abuse for example women actually hit like physically hit and attack their partners more than men do it's just that when men do it it's, it's a lot worse <laughs> you know it has a lot the consequences um, right. The um, one thing I was going to mention before, and I know we have to wrap up soon, but um, just to get back to some of these SJW terms quickly, and because I always like to point out their hypocrisy, they are simultaneously saying here that masculinity is harmful because it doesn't allow for men to express their emotions and that men should be able to tap into and express their emotions, which I agree with. That men should be able to, and but but at the same time, these are the same women who, when who, when a man uh, disagrees with them, or if a man expresses, you know, being upset about something they've said or what have you, they love to say they, they use this phrase "male tears." They make fun of guys and use the phrase "male tears," and yep. and and that's a way for them to insult you and denigrate you as a man. You're oh, male tears. Um, so they're hypocrites, and. Some of the other stuff, it's funny, I thought uh, that in this in this APA guidelines, at least in the, I can't remember if it was in the summary version or the full version, but they mentioned the terms mansplaining and men spreading. Did they? Oh, no, no, I'm confusing it with a different article. I'm confusing it with a different article, the one that- I don't think they did. I think that was yeah. the article on toxic masculinity yeah, that, that you said. Yeah, never mind. But that, you know, those terms are also used to, um, by SJWs to attack men. Um, mans, yeah. mansplaining, for example, which originated, uh, I believe it was, it originated when a female author wrote a piece about how she was at a party and a man started explaining a book that he'd read to her and it was her own book. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I wrote that. And he just kept explaining, he kept explaining like he knew more about it than her. And I, that word at the time, I'm like, yes, I, I've been around men like that. It's when they're kind of, they're, they're in a chauvinist way explaining something that you know better than they do. It's very specific. It's like, um, it's like if you're a doctor and there's a guy who's not a doctor, but he's telling you all about you know, your own field right. and, and he's doing it to show off either to you or some other woman who's around or what have you. That, that definitely, I understand there are uses for that word that I understand. But what's come to happen is now they just use that word to mean anytime a man disagrees with you or explains anything or uh, if he doesn't, if he's not on board with the ideology and his mouth is moving, he's mansplaining. So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would push back on mansplaining as a as a term generally though because mm -hmm. um, I've had I've had women do the same thing to me, right? If if uh, okay. you yeah, know, there are things that I can't talk about that they feel like women are experts in, and it's like, well. 
let me explain how that works. But I'm like, yeah, I, I fucking just read three books on the subject. Like you're just using your intuition. Maybe it's um, just be called arrogance explaining. Yeah, that's what it is, right? <laughs> um, and frankly, not all of it is even arrogant. I mean, some of it is arrogance and show off, but a lot of it, you know, people people don't know. It's people aren't omniscient. I don't know the entire context of your brain. So when we're having a conversation, sometimes I will explain things that you already know really well, and you have to voice back to me. Yes, I understand that. In fact, I wrote a book on it. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, this let's person now I go deeper and tell yeah. me some stuff, right? But it's not they uh, feminists yeah. will often throw around mansplaining as soon as you say anything, it's mansplaining. I agree. But that see that you're you're not a man you're not an arrogant explainer or whatever Carter. So yes, if if I told you, hey, I wrote a book. About no, no, that, no. Let me explain. Yeah. I am an arrogant explainer. So <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny ending to this. One. Dumb broad. <laughs> I'm triggered. I'm gonna log off now. <laughs> so look, I, uh, maybe we should. You know, we're we're get, kind of getting to the end. Um, we do have uh, we do have someone who admitted to be inherently evil in the chat in the chat, which is great. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I saw one guy said he's going to go for Halloween as a Doctor Pirate Werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> you will he will get some play by going as the Doctor Pirate Werewolf. Um, yeah. So look, I I think you know the the summary the takeaway for me is. Um, at first, I approached this and, and I saw the guidelines and I thought, okay, well, you know, after after my kind of just skimming and reading only the guidelines before I read it deeper, my my initial reaction was, okay, there, there there's some good in here, but they've probably messed it up. Um, there's a lot a lot of messy stuff, right? Um, having read it now and also discussed it with you, <clears throat> my my take on this, these APA guidelines are, I wish that they didn't exist because I think they're um, more harmful than good. I think a therapist who wants to work with men is actually interested in, in men and masculinity and probably respects them because they're, they're seeking out uh, or at least uh, you know, accepting male and, and boy clients. And so they're probably better off using their own judgment and intuition on how to deal with people on a individual basis than by reading this thing and having the, uh, the entire framework by which they view their clients altered to match this kind of anti-masculine uh, intersectionality patriarchy myth mm -hmm. uh, ideology. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's it's, it's probably going to do more harm than good because it's just it's ideologically based. It's not truth driven. But one other thing that they didn't touch on that I think is a problem with boys is um, that they are over medicated. They're overly diagnosed with ADHD by people who oh that aggression and competitiveness oh, yeah. and all you know hyperactivity and all those problems. Yes. Yes, and I know we I, I know we were going to wrap up, but can we, we can we talk about the school section for just a minute because sure. that was another one. Schools bother the hell out of me. Um, the way that schools treat young boys is, I mean, the way that government schools treat kids generally is, uh, you know, it's better to be in a prison. Prisoners get more free time, uh, time to themselves and self directed uh, activities. But um, you know, the way that they treat young boys, the idea that a young boy is expected to sit at a desk 
quietly for hours on end and only get up after, you know, one, like only get up once in a while for bathroom breaks and have 15 or minutes or 45 minutes or whatever it is for recess in the middle of the day and go back to like sitting and listening and, and having their focus um, broken. So you're, you get, you know, you get really into something, you're in flow, you're learning your math, bell rings. Now it's time for English. You know, don't squirm around. Don't have any extra energy. Just sit there like a, like a, a robot or a sponge and absorb the mostly crap that's being taught at you. Um, of course they act out, right? And, and they do mention in these guidelines, like boys act out differently than women. Women tend to, inter girls tend to internalize their, their problems and boys tend to choose external methods of expressing their frustration. So yeah, so they start acting out and, and what's the solution? Drug them, um, mm -hmm. which is child abuse, frankly. And what you should do if you have a little boy is just pull him the hell out of school. Uh, like homeschool them, send them somewhere else, move to a school district that, that is, is sensitive to this or something. Um, but sending them to, to these, uh, these schools and, and where they are treated like, like someone mentioned this in the chat, sending them to these schools where they're treated like broken girls is, is, uh, is just about one of the worst things you can do for them. I agree. I, my, my whole opinion on homeschooling has changed in the past few years. And you and I talked about this offline, but it, I, I think part of that is because the, the people who are homeschooling now, it, the people who are homeschooling has changed. So in the past, right. you know, 20 years ago when I was a, a young and vibrant SJW, <laughs> a budding SJW, uh, the, a lot of the people, the homeschoolers I interacted with in the South of North Carolina were fundamentalist Christians who did not believe in evolution. And that was the reason they were homeschooling. And I met some of these people while doing uh, tours at a primate center where I wasn't allowed to talk about evolution or primate characteristics or fossil record or anything. Uh, so I had a negative opinion of it, but now the, I, there are more people homeschooling because they don't want their children's heads full of this SJW ideology. They don't want their kids being indoctrinated in this way. And so I think uh, my opinions on it have definitely changed. If I had a kid, I would not yeah. have to public school. Well, we should do an entire episode on, or, or more, on uh, early childhood education because I think uh, there's a lot to talk about there. We did we did run over time, so that's that's great. I love running over time. Thanks for everyone for being in the chat. Uh, it was a cool chat. Um, we got to talk about people being naturally evil. Actually, if you read the chat, uh, polygamy and cuckoldry are are part of the discussion. So there's lots of uh, lots of craziness in the chat, but. Um, Carrie, any final thoughts on this, on this, these guidelines you want to leave people with before we, we sign off? I don't think so. I think I've said what I had to say. What about you? Final thoughts? Um, I think I've mostly said what I had to say. I would just, I would just say, uh, I like the idea of therapy. Um, but, uh, be very careful. Be very careful oh. if you're going to pick, pick a therapist. Um, and and uh, let boys be boys. That that was the uh, yes. final thought, right? Be let boys be boys, and let boys be boys. Uh, I saw uh, and and find good role models for them. Help boys identify positive role models. Yeah. Uh, Owen Benjamin talked about his wife being uh, in a I think it was like a gymnastics class for his son, and how one of the other little boys in the class was wearing a shirt that said. 
boys will be boys and the boys the second boys was crossed out so and and then over it was written good humans boys will be good humans and there's <laughs> something really kind of disturbing about that and it's not okay for the boy to, i mean of course everyone should be a good human but it's not okay for the boy to be a boy it's like erasing right. men like you said it's like it's men don't exist boys don't exist well i think honestly um i think erasing men may be the goal here so I don't I don't know how that'll work out for the species, but uh, I guess we'll see. So thank you once again, Carrie. Thanks to everyone for for watching. You can find Carrie and I at uh, on this channel every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, one o'clock, 1 p.m. Texas time, which is where Carrie is. And the show is called Deprogrammed. You can find audio versions of it uh, by looking for Unsafe Space on your favorite podcast app. And obviously our YouTube channel, if you're watching now, is Unsafe Space. Please go to unsafeshow.com to find out ways to support the show, like, share, subscribe, anything you can do to spread the word. We're just starting out. So um, you know, really anything you can do to spread the word uh, will really help us out a lot. And if you care about these issues, um, you know, join the chat. Spread the word. Oh, well, Carrie, we also have a Facebook and uh, we have Facebook pages for deprogrammed and unsafe space yeah. generally. So yeah, we have two. So share the video yeah. if you like it. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, everyone, and uh, have a good day. <laughs>